Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call Chris Brewer at Affordable Heat and Air, 317-656-7945. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. We've got another confirmation. Romain Grosjean is replacing Callum Eilat at Hunko's Hollinger Racing. So how do we think this will go and how many seats are left? We'll do some math and some thinking tonight. We've passed another off-season marker. The NASCAR season is complete. I've got a couple of observations. You do too, likely, from Championship Weekend. There's sports car news involving IndyCar drivers and off-season testing continues. We'll talk to a pair of Indy Next drivers tonight. USF Pro 2000 champion Miles Rowe and two-time Indy Next race runner-up Jacob Abel, who got his first taste of an Indy car yesterday. They'll be on the show coming up in a little bit. Thanks for joining us tonight. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, happy to be with you. And Elijah Robertson is in our downtown Indianapolis studios. Uh, segment two, I promised at the end when I once again ran too long before to get to Twitter questions, we're going to, at the top of segment two, roll through questions via twitter at kevin lee 23 at kurt cavin and then some more that come in throughout the evening before the show is over tonight but let's just go with a couple of headline things because anytime in the offseason you get something definitive rather than chuckleheads like me telling you what i think might happen we get someone telling you what is going to happen and what is going to happen is ramon grosjean is going to be driving the number 77 chevrolet next year not shocking when they put the flames and some wording in french in the teaser for the press announcement and we'd heard rumblings of this for whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you or a month or so, but really only once we learned Eilat was out did we kind of link him with the 77. What do you think makes the most sense for Grosjean and Hunkos Hollinger linking together? Well, first, it's good to to see you. I see you a little more regularly, perhaps, during the season. Uh, so it's nice on a, on a weeknight like tonight to uh, get back together and talk IndyCar racing. You know, you know, we go back to this talk about Roman Grosjean and we had an inkling that he would end up at Hunkos Hollinger. We just didn't know it'd be in the 77. We thought it would be in place of uh, Augustine Canapino. Remember about a year ago, we were, we were like scr scrambling over, how do we pronounce Canapino's name? We were arguing it back and forth. We now know he's been pretty productive on the IndyCar season uh, after one year, and uh, that year went pretty well for him. Anyway, we didn't know that we kind of thought it would be Eilat plus either Canapino and Grosjean. The fact that it's Grosjean and Canapino that will be in the car's in 2024 is a bit surprised. Look, I don't, I don't know what to expect. I think, you know, I think about Grosjean's, you know, time in IndyCar three seasons now, or most of three seasons, pretty close to 50 races. I thought he'd have a win by now. Uh, I'm not saying that with Hunkos, we need to see a race win. I think we'll see some races where they're, they're better, 
but I thought I thought Ilot did a nice job in this time with the team. Um, but it'll be interesting. I don't I don't know that I have a sense for what this program can be. I think uh, you know the association that it has with with Arrow McLaren will be interesting to watch. Um, I think it will be beneficial on some level, uh, but I don't know. You'd like to see Gurjan finally win a race. You'd like to see Hunkos Hollinger on the podium and perhaps win a race. And they've got a pretty good chance to do that. But I'm not sure he's a huge upgrade over Calamilot. Maybe he's a little better on the ovals. Uh, but I don't know. We'll have to see the development of the team first. You know, I think from a performance standpoint, it did not make a lot of sense to a lot of us replacing Ilot. That said, Grosjean, if you're simply looking at pedigree and talent and resume, uh, that he he is one of the few, maybe the only one we can come up with where you can potentially argue, okay, maybe this is, if not an upgrade, at least it is a level playing field in someone that you know, we think very highly of Calamila, but Romain Grosjean has been on the podium multiple times in IndyCar. He's been on the podium many times in Formula One. He is very, very well regarded. So the talent has not been a question from him. Maybe protecting equipment and some other things has been. Really what the talking point, though, for the last week, though, has been how are they all going to get along? And it, it certainly seems like the... Uh, parting of ways with Callum Eilat had more to do with relationships and other factors off track than performance. And I detailed some of them last week. You know, we all know about the uh, Canapino fans going after Callum Eilat on social media. And uh, that, I think, separated Callum Eilat in the team a little bit and how they decided to handle things and what the public and who knows what the private response was to that. And then the on-track issue at Laguna Seca, if you want to call it an issue, but disagreement with the, the contact with Canapino when Canapino was going for the leader's circle. And then the other big one that we talked about was at Indianapolis. The driver felt like the car was not safe, not right, not not just slow. It was more than that. He just said the thing won't go straight. The team disagreed and... I thought they were going to recover from that in part because of the new relationship with McLaren. Apparently they did not, but all this said there was a clash. And then you bring in a driver who is very open that I'm not changing my ways and I'm going to tell you what I think. And, and he is at times vocal now in Grosjean's defense. And I, I think I saw some quotes in Nathan Brown's Indianapolis star story. And I would agree with this, all of his diatribes, we're not venting and screaming at the team. Sometimes they're just venting. Sometimes it's about traffic and circumstances, and sometimes it's in French, and we don't know what he's saying. But I agree with him that he's not always just yelling about the team, maybe not even often yelling about the team. And I think it's also very possible that he had a very good relationship with many people on his team. And I think they could have worked through that. But then you add in all the crashes and the fact that there weren't the results that they were looking for. And I'm also guessing he was fairly pricey as far as his salary is involved. He may not have been as super keen about doing all the things off the track that an Andretti driver is required to do. So all of those things led to that parting 
So how is this going to go with Hunkos Hollinger? Some would say that they're going to clash almost immediately and it's going to be a disaster. I think others could say, this, you know what? These are two people that think alike that may just talk it out. Um, and I will say this for Ramon Grosjean. You know, we see the moments that he has on camera after he gets out of the car. I can't recall him. I'm sure he did. But I don't recall many, if any, incidents where when he talked with the media, he threw the team under the bus. Didn't he usually, if not always, say the right things to the media? And I think that was one of the big issues that Ricardo Junkos, and I'm not putting this all on Kalamila. There's Kalamila outside of the story, too. But I I don't think that they appreciated Callum being fairly honest about the deficiencies in the program. Well, you know, we both have a lot of a lot of time for Callum Eilat. And, yeah. you know, in both of those two drivers case, they have a very Formula One approach in that they just kind of say what what's on their mind. And we like that. We like that as a as a fan trying to understand, you know, this, you know, the emotions and and what's happening, at least from the driver's perspective. But sometimes, you know. In in the case of Grosjean in particular, I think when he does say something, it sometimes has a little bite to it. Uh, not necessarily at the team. I agree with you. I don't. I would say most of the time it's not been directed at the team, and I don't think that's why they parted. Honestly, I I would go back to, you know, they 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 didn't have the year they were having. The equipment replacement cost was probably higher than than Michael Andretti wanted, uh, and you factor in what Grosjean's salary likely was in a in a time when they didn't get they weren't going to have the sponsorship program they were going to go to three cars perhaps anyway I think all of that was a factor and they got Marcus Erickson and they got Marcus Erickson and I still think there is a chance that he's at Andretti if Marcus Erickson decides to stay at Ganassi that's what I was saying agreed all May June and July that that's the only way that Grosjean stays is if Erickson does not come. Andretti needs a marquee name, and Erickson brings them an Indy 500 winner and someone that's been up there in the championship. Uh, so he ticks some boxes that not many drivers do. So you you talk about, you know, you think they, there's some sense that, that Hunkos as a team and Grosjean may clash. You know, one thing that's interesting to watch, and and I love working with Ricardo Hunkos, but he's he's got some some spirit to him as well. And he has spirit. He's fiery. Yeah. He's fiery. And he's got we, opinions. <laughs> and we like that about him. And yeah. he's brutally honest. And but he also he's not reckless. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Ricardo is reckless. He's just he just got some spirit. That's how I like to think of it more than fiery. It's it's kind of the same word, but he's I got some he's pointed. Sp- yeah, I would agree with that. He's not, but he's not reckless. He doesn't just fire away and and just no. fire at things. He's he just tells you what he thinks. So that's that's where it'll be a f- interesting dynamic between two people. But you know, sometimes uh, people of like personalities can work together because they understand each other and they understand it's. We say this a lot. It's not personal. Sometimes you just have to say the car is not right. We got to fix it. 
And if Grosjean says that and, you know, they have a spirited conversation, Ricardo's, you know, of the of the proper mindset that that, okay, maybe the team does have some work to do. Maybe this will help validate some of the things Callum Eilat said. Maybe maybe it'll just come in a different voice and a different perspective. And if there are things that the team needs to work on, maybe maybe this will be a good, you know, a good uh uh, relationship to figure some of those things out. But look, I'm excited for the team. I know we think a lot of Callum Eilat, but really the difference between Eilat and Grosjean with, you know, in addition to the fact Grosjean's had more success is that he's just got more experience. He's just got more experience than Eilat does. Uh, I thought, I thought Eilat did a, did an admirable job and I, I hope he could, uh, you know, that's something we talked about last week, that the timing of his unemployment just it could have been better for for Callum. But um, I hope he lands on the grid because I think he's got a lot of things to bring to this series. I think Callum Eilat did a great job, you know, yeah. for, for, for a new program, a single car his first year, a teammate with no experience the second year. And he's finishing ahead of big programs. He's bookending the season with top five finishes, he did all that could be done. And when you see the way he drove forward in races from where he qualified, you see that there's still some pace. You know, maybe you're saying he just doesn't qualify that well. There's a combination of the two, possibly, but I think it's more likely the cars just aren't there yet. Um, and while it's going to be difficult for him to find a spot, whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I think this is one of those that even if he doesn't have a spot next year, this is probably for the best because that wasn't going to be a wonderful environment. Um, it was tense and tenuous throughout the season. And you not only had the the social media commentary from, you know, your teammates fans that you're you're feeling alone. You know, I'm sure he felt like an outsider too when the other driver and our, it's a team from Argentina. Yes, they've been in America for 20 years, but much of their budget is based on Argentina backing. And then the other driver is from Argentina and he's getting all the love. And then they disagree about whether the car is competent in May. It, it was just time to move on. Agreed. That, Agreed. that would not have been a good circumstance. Um, I wish it would have been earlier. I, I, I wonder, was Ricardo Junco's hoping that someone would buy him out? Did, did I, I don't think he really was super keen on Callum returning either, but maybe it took the right circumstance. Maybe Callum does come back. If Roman Grosjean is not available, if Grosjean stays with Andretti or is picked up by someone else at a bigger salary. So, you know, the point is out there that if he had been released earlier, would he be somewhere else? I, I don't I don't know that there's a lot of options. Um, and maybe you could make an argument that the 20 shared ride would have gone to him with Ed Carpenter, but I think Ed's, we all knew that this relationship was not going great. So I'm pretty certain that Ed Carpenter knew this as well. This was not a paddock secret. Everyone in the paddock knew about this for the last year. 
Um, so he could have checked in on that. Now, maybe he did and was told, yeah, the driver's under contract. You're going to have to buy him out. And that, to me, for Ed, becomes a pretty easy decision. Well, I would have to pay for this driver, or I can take the $800,000 in scholarship money that Christian Rasmussen has and a lot of upside. And and then, you, you know, you also wonder, when he's a free agent, when a driver's a free agent that has done well, everyone sees the talent in Callum Eilat, and we're not on the inside. We don't know why this went awry and who's to blame if one side more than the other. But when someone is available, someone might wonder, well, wait a minute, why are you letting this guy go? Do I really want to get in this business if you feel like that this isn't going to work and and you have to separate? Um, so I don't see the Ed Carpenter racing being a super likely possibility and you ask at the others that have been signed, could he have been at McLaren instead of Malukas? No, I don't think so. Okay. Because if McLaren wanted him, I think they would have pressed hard to Hunko's Hollinger saying, if you want our money with us putting stickers on your cars, you're going to keep Callum Eilat in that car. So it may be, but I, I think they chose. I think they chose Malukas over Callum Eilat at the time. Chip Ganassi Racing had choices. Marcus Armstrong, Kiffin Simpson. He's not getting either one of those seats. Certainly the Kiffin Simpson seat is budget-related, and I hope it's not the case, but I feel it's very likely that Marcus Armstrong, someone is bringing a lot of backing to, to keep, even though Marcus Armstrong is really good, really talented, probably should be hired, he's with the best team right now, and that likely requires budget, so that's not going to be an option. Maybe the Linus Lundquist seat. Maybe you could argue that one there. Uh, and that was done in August. So that would be one there. Ray Hall let him in Lanigan in the recently announced Pietro Fittipaldi. I don't think so because they were down the road with Yuri Vips. And it sure seems like this is a commercial incentive to slide Pietro into that car. And Callum doesn't have much, if any, commercial backing. So it, maybe there was an option. Maybe there wasn't. What's left? You've got two seats at Dale Coyne Racing and maybe one at Foyt, uh, maybe one at Andretti. I think that's highly unlikely, but I do think Andretti was thinking about Callum Eilat and others coming into this season with some drivers that were going to be out of contract. If they were really close to him, and they find budget to run that fourth car ASAP, there could be an opportunity there. That would be a potential hired spot, and that was the desired goal when they decided that they were not going to continue on with Devlin D. Francesco. But I think that's probably unlikely. Um, I think the Foyt seat is going to require some budget, so I don't think that is a likely possibility. And I think the coin seats probably require budget unless one of the drivers brings a massive amount. Maybe that allows them to choose who they think the best is for the second seat. And there's been some speculation that Stingray Rob has a big amount of budget. So if they went down that path, that's the only scenario that I could see for Callum Eilat in IndyCar for next year. Yeah. I mean, you make good points. I still think, you know, the McLaren one was interesting to me, but you you give me a good path to understanding that uh, that maybe Eilat wasn't 
as highly regarded from the McLaren side as what I might have anticipated. And I think the Andretti thing makes some sense. And and after what Lundquist did, I think that felt like, you know, a natural uh, it wasn't a surprising hire at Ganassi. So, yeah, we've pretty well identified the the maybe th- as many as four seats still to be claimed, two at Coin, uh, at least one at Foyt, and maybe one at Andretti. Who knows what Ray Hall and their fourth program looks like? It could have some wheels. It could be just the Indy 500, but, you know, I don't think that uh, – I don't think that's one you should count on. Uh, and and the Foyt situation is kind of a maybe as well, because there's always the chance that it's status quo. Uh, I, I'm going to guess Santino Ferrucci's people are working on finding a budget for him to make him the full-time driver in the 14. And I would think, don't know this, but I would think the Foyt people would be fine with that. Oh, I think so, too. I mean, certainly they want him back on the ovals. And I would think they felt like, yeah, we were making progress on the road and street courses as well. It's just a matter of it takes money to go fast. So if we find some other options, we may have to go down that path. Maybe there is a scenario if there is a full-time driver, um, someone that has the budget to run full-time, maybe Santino's in a third car in the ovals. You know, I'm going to go ahead and take Benjamin Peterson off the TBD list. Uh, I've seen the Foyt team using Benjamin in some social media posts. That's one of the things I've mentioned that, you know, I don't I don't think they need to do an announcement uh, because it was a multi-year announcement when it was announced. But the reason I've talked about that is because, again, we see the contracts don't always mean a lot of things. And you just heard chatter. And, and some of this is coming from people that are interested in that seat as well, because that is now a more attractive seat, the Benjamin Peterson seat. So they're probably hoping that they agree to part ways, because now that they have partnered with Penske on some sort of a technical relationship and that their cars are smoking fast at the Indy 500, a lot more people are interested in A.J. Foyd racing. So it was really going to be up to the Petersons. And to their point, I've asked Benjamin, I've asked his dad, I've asked Larry Foy, and I know other reporters have as well. And they have always said, we don't foresee any changes. You know, we always just understand there are sometimes things change, but I think we're far enough, far enough along that I will now be very surprised if anything happens. You can never say never uh, about anything because I think the first it started first from people wondered well, we think the Peterson backing is pretty significant. Are they going to be satisfied with where they ran last year? And might they start to look elsewhere? And that's probably where it started. And and this is in full honesty. No one from Benjamin Peterson's camp, anyone that's close to Benjamin Peterson or otherwise, have I heard firsthand or secondhand that they're unhappy. So where this all gets started, I think, is partly just educated speculation and wondering. And to the point where there are some others with budget out there thinking, all right, if the Petersons did want to leave, Foyt has a couple of options. They'd probably let them out of that contract. But I don't know where Benjamin Peterson could go 
that is better than what they have. I suppose he could go to Dale Coyne Racing and take the budget there. Um, but there's something to be said for continuity and building from what you've already started. And the fact, again, that you were good at the Indianapolis 500. So that makes the most sense. So roundabout way, way saying, let's cross that one off. And we've got basically two unknown seats. Dale Coyne has been testing the last couple of days. We'll talk with Jacob Abel, who I don't know that he's fully in play for a seat. It was more of just, let's see how it goes. I think we'll ask Jacob, see how it goes. Because there are incentives for teams and they get extra test days for Indy Next drivers. And, you know, maybe we'll think about it. Uh, and then maybe we'll learn something. And then I think Enzo Fittipaldi is in that car today. And Pietro Fittipaldi has been testing uh, as a, well, he's not a rookie, but as the full-time entry for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing. So one of those cars is on on track. The 18 car and Enzo Fittipaldi, I would assume, would be one of the candidates. Who else? You, I think you have a list. Who else is on the list of available drivers that you have in front of you? Well, and I, and I go back to Jacob Abel, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up. We're gonna have to ask him about you know whether that it feels like his path to IndyCar will continue to be his his own team, his dad's team, and running maybe the run the Indy 500. But there, there certainly are some drivers that you would factor in as as Indy 500 drivers because I don't see a path to them being a full time driver. Takuma Sato being one of those drivers. Simon Pagano is an interesting. Oh, so your list is Indy 500, not well. It, I, I'm just talking about drivers out there that that I think would be considered okay. for somewhere, and then I'm just saying that that I don't see a path for Sato or Pagano to be a full time driver. I mean, unless something's going to surprise me, I just don't see a path for those two to be full-time drivers. Connor Daly's out there. I think Devlin DeFrancesco is the one, uh, along with Stingray Rob, that that I would keep the most uh, watch for. Uh, a couple others feel like Indy 500 drivers only. Hunter Ray, um, Jack Harvey, if he could pull something together. Um, I'm still intrigued by uh, Hunter McElroy has to factor into this equation somewhere. Maybe not in the IndyCar series, but he's going to have a job next year somewhere. Where does Hunter McElroy, because it, it's not going to be in Indy next next year, I wouldn't think. My best guess is he's driving a sports car. Yeah, probably but so. That doesn't, I, I, even if he is, I don't think he's done pursuing IndyCar. Even exactly. if there are no opportunities, they will look for potential opportunities in Indianapolis. Look to go the Linus Lundquist path. Right. Linus Lundquist had absolutely nothing. And he goes from nothing and sitting on the sidelines to being with the statistically best team that you can possibly be with. Well, and I I talked to uh, Christian Rasmussen for a story a few weeks ago that basically, you know, and I think we mentioned this at the time, but what a service Linus Lundquist did for hopefuls who are trying to get to the IndyCar series. He showed a path that that we didn't really think could exist. Now, I don't think it happens every year, but I think it's one of those things that uh, opened people's eyes that you don't necessarily have to run 8, 10, 12 races or 17 races in a Foyt car uh, to prove. And, and I brought that up from a Kirkwood standpoint, Kyle Kirkwood, you know, spent the year with Foyt and everybody knew he had talent. And he at some point, you know, hit above his weight. 
or the team's weight. And sometimes, you know, he, he can, you know, he, he showed that path is what I'm saying. And Lena showed a different path. And so there are multiple ways to get where they want to get if they're patient and if they're willing to do the kind of things that, that will get them to the IndyCar series in the year following. So a couple other names you've, you continue to, to mention that uh, Oliver Askew is out there uh, as one of the possibilities, but I think it really comes down to in these last few drivers or positions, I should say, if Assuming there's not a surprise from Dale Coin Racing, which is like saying, you know, we know there's going to be a surprise from Dale Coin Racing. Uh, but Stingray Rob and Devlin D. Francesco are the two primaries that I would keep an eye on. I don't know if I mentioned Connor Daly, but that would be another one that somewhere could factor into the equation. So at one point, I think there was a possibility of Connor at Foyt. In some scenario, I'd heard that in a couple of different places before the season was over. I don't know that that's still uh, an an option as far as full time. And I've not spoken to Connor for a while, but I did hear him on his podcast last week saying that I'm not going to be full time. You know, so he's looking at the Indy 500. And I, I still think Connor has a great chance to be a very, very busy race car driver next year. Indy 500. NASCAR. Um, you know, maybe some more with Dreyer and Reinbold in their rally cross, maybe a little bit of sports car stuff, whatever. He has a chance to be a very busy, active, professional race car driver and brand ambassador. I think things are still looking positive for Connor full time. I'll go with what he said. Probably not. You know, someone else I would give a chance to is Jack Harvey and and someone that would be willing to look past the stats for the last couple of years for Jack might be Dale Coyne. Dale Coyne doesn't care what anyone else thinks. Dale Coyne can evaluate talent. And if he sees something in Jack Harvey, which I'm sure a lot of people do, we all do. We saw it when he was coming up and when he was at Meyer Shank Racing. Just haven't seen much of it the last two years. If there can be some budget help and or... The first driver brings a lot of it. I wouldn't count out Dale Coyne to say, I don't care what you all say. I don't care what the stats say. I think Jack Harvey's good, and we're going to show you that he's good in our car. No, I think you, you're spot on. Of all the team owners in this sport, Dale would be among the first that you would say doesn't care what anyone else thinks. I mean, a lot of those is, are the case. Obviously, that Chip Ganassi comes to mind. Obviously, Roger Penske comes to mind and others, but Dale Coyne doesn't care. If he if he thinks he has talent, he'll hire him. I'm not predicting that at all, and no one has told me that this is going to happen. That's just, you know, kind of looking at the way things operate. So I, I just wouldn't count out Jack at this point. Um, you know, other names, Daniel Frost has been mentioned. I find it interesting that he didn't test either one of these two days, and if he was set to be in that seat, Maybe he would have been there. Maybe not. Maybe they already say we know what he has and they're evaluating or trying to raise budget or whatever. Uh, maybe R.C. Enerson, who ran the Indy 500 last year for Abel, you know, certainly that's a possibility of doing that again. But um, and that's one of the, the nuggets I had. I think Joey Barnes had a story and I did a little cut and paste. He talked to John Bruner from Abel Motorsport. Uh, about their program. And I, I think I threw this out in the last couple of weeks. 
that I wouldn't count out them running a, a second car in the 500. John said the same. Maybe two cars in the 500. Certainly the second could be for Jacob Abel. Um, and he said, you know, with RC, we could do more than the 500 potentially. And reading between the lines, that means, you know, if somebody raises the budget because it costs money to run race cars. But that could be something to ramp up that program for for them moving forward. So lots of good stuff. Uh, Indy 500 count. You know, I went through this last week. It got late very, very early. There are very few seats remaining. So we'll get through that again coming up in the coming weeks. Um, I want to get to some Twitter questions, too, coming up in just a moment. Miles Rowe is on the show. Jacob Abel is on the show. And more. Trackside 93.5-1075 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Okay, let's get to some uh, Twitter or X questions at Kevin Lee 23 from today and last week and maybe beyond if we have time. Ken Anderson sent this last week and it says, hot take, Checo, Sergio Perez, loses his seat at Red Bull, Ricardo in, Checo doesn't want to retire and comes to IndyCar. <laughs> Two popular Mexican drivers might just get IndyCar to Mexico for a race. Uh, and then he followed up with one that reminded me to go back and check this one because he just tweeted this afternoon. I'm sure you won't forget to wish Fro a happy birthday tonight. Ken, you just did. Happy birthday to Felix Rosenquist. He asks, are you hearing anything new on Thermal? I know some details are still to be finalized. My hot take is still alive with Checo finishing fourth. I think Helmet will dump him and he'll come to IndyCar a la Fernando. I like it. I don't think it's happening. I, I, I can't say it's not or it is. I don't know Sergio Perez at all. I have a feeling that there's no way that they can pay him. So it will depend on what his backers want. Yeah. Now, who who has who funded him on the way up? Do they want him still racing? Then maybe you can never rule it out. But most of these guys, this is not on their radar. But I like the dream. Let's keep the dream alive. As for anything new on thermal, you know what I think I know is what was announced. It's going to be the March 24th weekend. So it's two days of testing and then an exhibition race with a format that will be finalized down the road with a million dollars split to, um, I think, what, one of the members, which is likely to go to charity. If you really want to go, it's essentially a private event, but if you feel like I've got to be there, well, instead of making it private, it you can go for $2,000. Or you can go to the rest of the races for the rest of the season for that same amount, which is what I would advise. <laughs> oh, I don't it's know. a private you, event. <laughs> you, won't, you won't get to the rest of the races for 2000 but ticket from a ticket price, you might. From a ticket perspective, you would. Yeah, but uh, I think it'll be a good TV show, and and it'll be fun. Give us something different to look at, and and different uh, strategies involved for the team. So I like it. It's making the best out of the situation. When Texas went away, there was going to be a massive gap on the schedule, and it's all right. We've got this place that wants to do something. They're not ready for a race. You know, some would say do a points race. I guess you could. But you certainly can't do one in this kind of – I don't think you can do one in this kind of format, which might involve inverting some starts. You know, I don't think you want to get into the points part of that. But if this goes well, 
then maybe you do consider making it a traditional Agreed. points race in 2025. So this if is it, a way to kind of dip your toe in there. If it goes well, it'll stay as kind of an all-star strategy. You know, I mean, I think that's what it would do because it'll go, if it goes well, it'll be because people enjoyed something different is, is the way I see it. Or if the racing looks really good and you think, well, let's add some pit stops to this. And because that's been a complaint by some fans and some competitors is, well, wait a minute, if we're going to go and spend this money, why does it not count for the championship? Yeah. Um, but I, I think conservatively, you'd like to know a little bit more about how it races and some other things and, you know, then it doesn't have the cachet of being something unique and the all-star race. It's not an all-star race because everyone is that's that's racing is going to be there. But you get my point. We'll see. Here's what I like to say about these these kind of things. It beats not having an IndyCar race on my television that weekend. That's right. That was our option. Having nothing to see or seeing this and then hopefully something grows from it. Patrick Stankus says, I read on Racer about Dale Coyne's options for 24. Dale was quoted as saying there could be some surprises. Is it possible if one driver brings enough funding and allows Coyne to hire a driver for the other car? Could Ferrucci be the surprise? Could be. Anything's possible with Dale. I mean, we've all been at this long enough to know that Dale is uh, the most unpredictable of the of the 10 drivers, although I didn't see Linus Lundquist going to Ganassi back August 1st. So anything's possible. Yep. Um, and, you know, of all the names we mentioned, we did not mention the F2 names. That's right. So, you know, but as I said at the end of last week's show, I think we can cross the likely F2 champ this year, Theo Porcher, off the list along this F1 reserve duties. It sounds like they either want him going to Super Formula or Weck. And then uh, last year's champion, I think I saw a note on him as well that it made it un- unlikely. Felipe Drugovich, and I guess it's still possible, but he's being retained as the test and reserve driver, and they want him involved uh, next year with Aston Martin. So I wouldn't put that super likely, but you never know. You, n- you never know how they can make those things work. Next question comes... From Richard at Big Cat, Big Cat's Struth. So the IndyCar video game will probably not come out now. So is there a backup plan for this marketing debacle? So I don't know what the backup plan is. Nor do I. There, there probably is one. So I don't have all the details of this, but is it motorsport games? You know, and I think we saw a couple of months ago the NASCAR got out of their agreement and their property is going to be on iRacing in 25. Mark Miles' comments were somewhat vague and measured, and I think he was reached again yesterday or today after another uh, racing entity got out of their deal and said it's not going to happen, and then there were reports that everybody's been laid off, and then I think I saw something late this afternoon that it's totally dead and we'll get more definitive information. So here is my thought on this. I think some people want Mark Miles to say, this has been awful, we want out, we're not continuing. He can't do that. We can do things like that. We can say that you've got to move on, but he needs to be tactical in this. And maybe it's a scenario like, you know what, if you really hate your job, 
um, but you're under contract, you wait for them to fire you so you can collect severance. So rather than us say anything detrimental about this relationship, let's do everything that we said we would do in the agreement. And then they are the ones coming up short. And if there is any money to be had in their bankruptcy or from their investors, maybe we can get some of that back. Or maybe it just makes it easier when we go on to plan B. I feel it very likely. I don't know how soon it can happen, but they have been working on plan B and they have known that there was no future in this relationship for a very, very long time. But they cannot say that publicly. Soon it's being said publicly for them because I, I don't think that an entity exists anymore. So hopefully they can get a video game out in the near future. I love iRacing, but it's not for everyone. It's difficult. You know, something on a basic Xbox, basic video game is a way to get this to the masses. There's less to be bought. There's It's not as hard. And that's what it looks like. I think even I read that the NASCAR game is going to be, for better term, dumbed down a little bit so that someone that doesn't want to spend three or four hours a day learning how to do this can do it. Now, I will say this. Oval racing is significantly easier on iRacing. You know, you can go run a stock car and be pretty competitive. It's the road racing in formula cars or high-level sports cars that gets pretty difficult just to turn laps. Uh, oval racing is a, is a different kind of animal. Brian Campbell asked, with the onset of 11 and perhaps, I mean, I think he says of one and perhaps two Brazilian drivers in IndyCar next year. I think he's speaking to the Fittipaldis. Are there any others right now? Mm, Those no. are the only two. Does that open up the possibility of a Brazil, Argentino, Mexico consecutive race wing on future calendars? I would say it would take more than that to get to that level of commitment it's going to be more diff difficult on its own to get to argentina i don't see brazil right right away but maybe perez certainly would would help a mexican situation i yeah. i did want to say that i think if if sergio perez and pato award were your your mexican contingent you'd uh you'd you'd have you'd have interested parties for sure yeah you you would think that that would all be contingent. If somehow in the dream scenario, Sergio Perez wants to come to IndyCar, I would think his backers would be saying, and we are going to have a race in Mexico. Yeah. That is going to be a part of the deal. And that could probably, it just takes money. That could probably happen fast. It just takes money. So to the question Brian asks, does it open up the possibility? The possibility has always been there. It just takes money. It helps the possibility but I don't know that it helps it a significant amount. It helps it a little bit because having local heroes, you know, I, I think it's very difficult to do a race in Mexico without a Mexican star like Pato Award, potentially one more. Uh, in Argentina, you need Canapino uh, on the grid to have that. You need a Brazilian driver, or it certainly helps to have one in Brazil, but there are always many more factors involved there. All right, we'll get to uh, more of the Twitter questions. Maybe speak a bit on NASCAR and what we took from their weekend in, in Phoenix coming up in just a moment. And we'll look ahead to hour two next on Trackside. Okay, a couple of other nuggets uh, from the news in the past week. Our buddy James Hinchcliffe is going to be one of the new inductees into the Canadian Motorsports Hall of Fame during the Hall's uh, ceremony in Toronto in February. And by the way, good to see Hinch 
who's working for F1 TV again, get kind of mixed in doing the interviews on the ESPN coverage with Sky Sports over the weekend in Sao Paulo. Uh, Marcus Armstrong is going to do an F3 race coming up. Macau is a big deal street race, and it hasn't happened with F3 cars starting with the pandemic for a few years. He ran an F3 there a couple of times. Uh, so this is, I think, bold and interesting. Someone that's an IndyCar driver getting an opportunity to go back, and there's a lot of history in that place. I don't know a lot about it. I know it's a big deal, though, and I know it's a favorite of many. Uh, the aforementioned Felix Rosenquist has won that race a couple of times. I think Takuma Sato won that. was one of his big wins on his way up to Formula 1. So really cool for Marcus Armstrong. So we'll have to pay attention to that coming up in the near future. And a couple of sports car notes. Uh, Brendan Hartley, who was once going to be an IndyCar driver before he got a Formula 1 opportunity going way back when he had a chance at Ganassi, and Colton Herta are joining Wayne Taylor Racing with Andretti as endurance drivers. So they'll be the third driver. So Colton moves over from BMW to stay sort of in the Honda Acura family with uh, WTR Andretti. So that's just a little bit of happening in sports car world. More to come in the second hour. We talk with Jacob Abel, who drove an Indy car for the first time yesterday, and the young Miles Rowe, the Indy Next driver, after winning a scholarship with the USF Pro 2000 Championship. That and more all coming up on Trackside with 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hour number two, Trackside continues, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. I forgot to do traffic and weather on the twos or the thereabout. <laughs> As we all know, I like to complain a lot about the weather and I'm never very happy. Wow, has it been nice in Indianapolis the last few days? It was really good to not be traveling this weekend. It was sunny and 70 today. Oh, I remember when we started this show, like 2008, I was the complainer, and you were the the level-headed one, and we just changed our roles a little bit. That's all. <laughs> I, I like to complain about the weather, but the more I think about it, um, I think I still like it here because I like seasons. Yeah. And and I like, I I sort of like the fact that it was miserable last week and twenty five degrees and and then all weekend it was nice outside. You, you, you I like can appreciate. You it can makes appreciate. you want to get outside more. I wonder how I would take to it if I knew it was going to be sunny and seventy two every day because I would always think, well, I could go outside tomorrow. No, I got outside and went for a run today because. I knew we don't have many more opportunities before the weather gets cold. So, all right, I'm sold. Glass and luckily, half I get full. to travel a lot to warm places. Yeah. Yeah, we know how that um, works. NASCAR over the weekend was something, and maybe we'll go from reverse order. Normally, we wouldn't spend a lot of time on on the truck championship, but I, I think, you know, as a motorsport show, it kind of is worth mentioning as to what happened and and not that we're here to mentor young drivers in this show but it's you it's are kind of a sign <laughs> you huh? are well You're... I, I am <laughs> I, I luckily i don't think well i don't have to tell formula car drivers about this because they don't retaliate on the racetrack they might do somebody dirty and there are drivers that you trust more but mostly the people crashing people they're not crashing people on purpose they're crashing people because they make mistakes and they know they can pay for the crash damage, and they're not worried about it. So they are aggressive. In NASCAR, it's both. 
In some cases, it's because they know they can pay for the crash damage, and it's because they throw temper tantrums, and that in some ways is applauded. But not always. So in the truck race in which uh, Ben Rhodes won the truck title and is always fun to watch celebrate. I like Ben Rhodes. I've met him a couple of times at different events, and I think he's one of the NASCAR guys that has done some Michelin pilot races. So I've, I've talked to a lot of those guys over the years. But one, they had 29 laps of overtime, so that got to be a little bit comical at some point. But the big storyline was, first, Carson Hosevar, one of the championship four, ran into the back of Corey Heim, another one of the championship four, took him out and didn't end his chance at a championship, but severely limited it. And and I will admit being a little bit biased about Carson Hosevar, that's the reason I was watching it, because I've known him since he was nine years old, because he raced quarter midgets everywhere. And he was buddies with Jackson when he was a kid. And I wouldn't say that Jackson raced him a whole lot because Carson Hosevar, I don't know if he ever got passed. He he won, they actually looked this up, a record amount of quarter midget races. I think he won virtually every race I ever saw him race. They had five cars, most everybody else had two, and they were running a cup program in quarter midgets and he was dominant. But he's a nice kid. And his family's nice, and we have rooted for him along the way. And he's going to be a cup driver, I think. I think that's set next year. Or maybe it's Xfinity. I don't know. He's doing well. He made a mistake. And he has made, unfortunately, a lot of mistakes. And that's wearing on people. And I'm sure that played into Corey Heim. But here's what I know about Corey Heim. Not a whole lot. What I know about Corey Heim at this point in their championship race is not all super positive. So he had the ability to take the high road because everyone agreed, including Carson Hosevar. This was all Carson Hosevar's fault. He was distraught. He basically checked out of that race and didn't want to be there anymore, even though his car was fine and was leading the championship at that time. He essentially gave it up because he felt so bad about crashing the other guy. Corey Heim still has a chance to win the championship, gets to be within seven or eight laps left, in the race, I think he sees he's not going to get up there and he's running eighth or whatever. So he slows down to wait for Carson Hosevar to come up, who I'm sure wasn't going to try to pass him. But when Corey Heim slows down, Hosevar, okay, I guess I'll go around the outside of you. And Heim just slams him into the wall. And with that, uh, brings out a yellow with two laps left. And who was the other driver veteran driver i can see his face i know him he he was in charge of the race and then there's a restart he doesn't take care of the restart ben rhodes wins so not only did he impact his day and end any chance he had at the championship by taking himself out he took someone else out of the championship as well and I think a lot of people felt like Carson Hosevar probably had it coming to him. And Hosevar even said the same thing, but that wasn't the time you had an opportunity to, I think, gain fans and gain respect about taking the high road and sucking it up and making the best of it and still finishing. Potentially all it would have taken is a caution from someone else in your restarting and have a chance to win the race. So that would be the message there. You, but Their model is what else has happened. This is NASCAR. 
And it's what I think we have in IndyCar and in sports car racing where that would not be tolerated. Well, first of all, Carson Hosevar would have been penalized for um, unavoidable contact, which that's one of the reasons why maybe you should have something like that in, because then it is up to the drivers to feel like they have to police themselves. And then you get tweets from Denny Hamlin saying this is what happens when there's no rules, no officiating. You get a product like this. The show is taken over U.S. motorsports and why it's hard to take seriously. I would say it's not taken over U.S. motorsports. It's <laughs> taken over NASCAR. Yep. There is still some pure racing in sports car racing and IndyCar racing. And it's not perfect. And if you want to pass somebody around the outside, you are still at the peril of the guy on the inside and whether he wants to run you off the road or not, but he can't run up behind and just punch you. That won't be acceptable, but it is in NASCAR. And maybe that's to their credit because it is entertainment and that is entertaining, but it gets frustrating if you're a competitor. Agreed. Agreed. But in the time we have remaining, we got to get to Ryan Blaney because, you know, what a, what a great story that is too. Well, here's the other one that, that I take from that and not looking for my my helicopters and conspiracies, but he's the first one in 10 years to win the championship without winning the race. And I always ask every year, how is it that when the top four in the championship are usually running third, eighth, 12th, 16th, maybe first, third, seventh, and 10th, how is it they're always one, two, three, four? Ross Chastain don't play these games, yeah. right? Right. I think that's what it came down to. Chris Busher had a chance to pass one of them for fourth late in the race, and I think he just backed off because that's what they all do. I thought maybe Harvick might go ahead in his last race, go ahead and go up there, and that's what, what angered Ryan Blaney so much is that, hey, it doesn't work this way. You're not allowed to race me in the last race. You're supposed to get out of the way. <laughs> but – I can't even go conspiracy on this because nobody keeps a secret. And I wonder every year, how is it they're all one, two, three, four? It was like that in Xfinity. It's usually like that in truck. Do they go through a different line in tech? Yeah. Somebody would spill the beans on that. Do they get more horsepower? Somebody knows. Somebody would spill the beans on that. That has been disinvited to NASCAR. How does it happen? Maybe a combination of a lot of things. Maybe the crew chiefs know that they're going to get a little bit more leeway to get through tech. And I think some of it is the other drivers really don't want to get involved. And once they get into the race, they really don't challenge very much. Ross Chastain don't care. I like Ross Chastain. Yeah, he is great. But I, I think um, uh, Blaney is somebody, uh, you, I, some, if you don't know these guys, and I don't know a lot of them these days, but I do know Ryan Blaney. He's somebody you can root for. He, he's a he's a good egg. He's cool, and he's got the Andrew Luck uh, Twitter general look going on. You know, they Captain Andrew Luck <laughs> is Ryan Blaney. Yeah, he strokes that beard. You know, I, I thought everyone at Team Penske had to be clean shaven, but when you're as good as Ryan Blaney, I also think that's now part of his brand because you know so many of these NASCAR drivers are very corporate looking. And that's to everyone's benefit that Ryan Blaney looks like a Civil War general. He, he really does. <laughs> you know, Joseph Newgarden questioned the facial hair uh, Team Penske model as well. So I like that about Joseph. And I, I don't think Joseph could grow that kind of beard, but it's uh, to be seen if if maybe McLaughlin can. 
nor can many. So kudos to uh, your team, right? Do you get to celebrate that as a we all get rings employee? Yeah, we all get rings and bonuses. Come on, Roger. (laughs) (laughs) I want a cup ring. Like like I said last week, you know, I I didn't really have a rooting interest, but I'm always happy if a Team Penske driver wins. I think that's for the greater good. Uh, Otherwise, I would have liked Kyle Larson to win because I think it's good to have the reigning cup champion coming to run the Indianapolis 500. So whatever. It was uh, it was interesting. So now we're into the offseason. I always rooted for Dave Blaney because I saw him win the Chili Bowl. And and so if if Dave Blaney's son can win a cup championship, that's good by me. I don't know that I've really I'm sure I've run across Ryan Blaney, but I did meet Dave several times and he's a really, really nice guy. Ryan's I, a great like guy, Dave. too. We played okay. some golf uh, back in the spring, hit some balls and and uh, he's good people. All right, so we'll get to what we missed a little later on, but we've got a couple of young guests coming up in just a moment. Miles Rowe, we've been efforting to have him on for a while, finally uh, made the effort to actually get something in without asking him two hours before a show. So we'll talk with Miles coming up about his championship and moving to Indy next. And Jacob Abel tested an IndyCar next year. What are his plans for next year? That's coming up. Trackside, 93.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Thanks for staying with us. We continue trackside, 93.5107.5 The Fan. And as mentioned, there's still... IndyCar action going on, Indy Next testing coming up again in the very near future. And combining the two, one of the Indy Next drivers, we think for next year, but maybe maybe there's some other options on the table as well. We'll find out. Jacob Abel from Abel Motorsports had the chance to test an IndyCar for the first time yesterday at Sebring for Dale Coyne Racing and joins us now. Jacob, how are you? Congratulations. Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, big fan of the show. I listen to it whenever I get a chance. So uh, happy to finally be on here. Jacob was, uh, had a lot of success this past year in Indy Next. Uh, what is it? I think four podiums, runner-up twice, nine top fives, really knocking on the door for that first win. We'll talk about Indy Next coming up in a moment. Um, but what was the IndyCar like for the first time yesterday? Yeah, it was awesome, man. I mean, obviously you know, like most drivers who are in North American open wheel racing, you know, IndyCar is, is the dream and it's the goal. So to finally get, you know, a taste of that today or yesterday rather was, was really awesome. You know, it was a, it was a pretty, pretty special experience and really glad I got to share it with the folks here at Dale Coin Racing. So you were on the short course at Sebring, I assume. How, how much experience do you have there? What was it like? Yeah, so it's like a little bit of a running joke about how much, you know, time we get here in, in all the Junior Open Wheel Series. Yeah. It seems like, you know, whenever we're testing, it's it's always at Sebring. And this place, you know, isn't necessarily the longest track. You know, we probably have about four or five significant corners. Um, so we get, uh, you know, a ton of track time on it, uh, which was good. You know, it's a, it's a really cool place. You know, we race on a lot of tracks that are similar to Sebring, you know, like St. Pete, uh, Nashville, Detroit, you know, 
the bumpy tracks. Um, it's a, it's kind of a, a saying that if they ever were to repave this place, I don't think anyone would, uh, would come here and test anymore. So, um, yeah, it's, it's cool to, to do that here. I'm on a track that I have a lot of experience on and kind of made the transition into the, the Indy car, you know, a little bit easier for sure. So the short course is not nearly as bumpy as the sports car course, which you're, you know, you're talking about the old sure. airport runway and coming around uh sunset bend there, which, you know, I'm told in a, an Indy pro car or USF pro car is barely doable and would not be in an Indy car. How much difference did you notice, even though on the bumpy short course from a junior formula car to an Indy car accentuating the bumps? <laughs> Oh, I mean, it was it was night and day. I mean, the fact that these cars have open shocks, you know, leads for a lot of development for these teams. Um, so, yeah, I mean, coming out here, that was probably the first thing I noticed was, you know, how good the car is over the bumps. You know, not that, you know, the Indy Next car or any of the other open wheel cars are horrible over them. Uh, the Indy car just, you know, did it did it way better. And the way it handled that, the way it handled, you know, the curbs uh, and everything was was really awesome. How did it compare? Harder, easier, things that you didn't expect from an Indy Next car? Yeah, you know, as weird as it sounds, it it's honestly, you know, a relatively easy car to drive. You know, coming from the Indy Next car, which is, you know, a little bit less developed, um, obviously a little bit less horsepower, a little bit less downforce, you know coming into into the indy car you you slide it a little bit less than the indy next car um the tires are are very similar now with now that indy next has has the firestone you know a lot of the characteristics are very similar you know in the way that you trail the brakes into the corner um you know it can accept a little bit of combined load uh, and all of that so yeah you know it was honestly a very smooth transition i think the the indy next car definitely is preparing drivers very well. You know, we see it time and time again um, with young drivers jumping up and, and succeeding. And, and yeah, you know, it, it felt like a, a very comfortable transition from, from one car to the other. Jacob Abel is joining us Indy next driver who tested an Indy car uh, yesterday at Sebring for Dale coin racing physically. How much different was it than the Indian X car? Yeah, it was definitely different. Um, again, it's it's another thing that I really think the Indy, Indy Next car does a good job preparing because the steering weight wasn't really drastically different. Um, you know, it was it was quite similar and it made me feel, you know, pretty confident about my, you know, personal fitness. I think we did upwards of 130, 140 laps over five sets of tires um, for the day. So, yeah, it was it was good. I honestly felt good. Um, the one thing is is the braking is you know amazing in the Indy car. Uh, so my neck definitely felt that a little bit, which you know I had a I had a few people warn me about. So yeah, that was definitely one thing. So the adjustment is not as big coming through the U.S. ladder, coming through the Indy car ladder, as it maybe is for some Europeans. Have you talked to guys like Enzo Fittipaldi? You know, Pietro is kind of done everything and he's been in the indy car before but do those that try to come straight from f2 or f3 to indy car do they find it pretty physical or is the f2 car still already fairly difficult to drive yeah i talked to enzo a lot today um obviously he's he's testing today here with dale coin and, and i've been hanging out with the team and he says the the car is is actually quite similar to the f2 car as well obviously our tracks are 
a little bit more, you know, less polished, let's say, than the tracks in Europe. So that's, you know, one thing that that'll be different for sure. And, and Sebring, you know, isn't the smoothest either. So, yeah, he said, you know, there were a lot of similarities there. Um, in F2, they do also have carbon brakes. So he said the brakes were, were very similar for him, uh, as that was probably my biggest difference. Um, and then for him, he said the biggest difference was probably the tires um, and the way you prep them. And all of that. And that's something, you know, I already felt quite comfortable with because it's a very similar process with uh, the Indy next car. Enzo raced in Indy Pro 2000 a couple of years ago. Was that while you were in Pro or were you already in lights? Yes. No, I did race against him uh, for okay. a couple races, I believe. So, yeah, we'd met before. Uh, yeah, he only twice. did the first couple of races to the season. So he at least so he's probably at least been to Sebring before, which helped him. Yep. Yep, he has. So that definitely, definitely helps. He knew a little bit of what to expect. It wasn't totally, you know, jaw dropping with all the bumps and, and various different types of pavement and all that. Yeah, I can only imagine someone that's been on European tracks in the Formula One ladder and the first time they come to America, uh, as we like to say, no disrespect, but Sebring is a very different environment. And it's not what you're going to see at most of the other places on the calendar. So it's not representative. And at least Enzo has a little idea of that. Uh, so b- before we talk about what you think of this and, and what the plans are moving forward, what was the idea of this to begin? Were were you already very set on Indy next, next year and just wanted to get a taste of it? Or was it a, hey, let's give it a go and then we'll decide what we want to do? Yeah, you know, I think it, it, it checked a lot of different boxes. You know, Dale Coyne, like most IndyCar teams or all IndyCar teams, get an extra test day for Indy next drivers only, which is a really cool thing that the series does. You know, it kind of incentivizes the teams to test, you know, drivers coming from our series. So I I'd like to think they got a little bit of benefit out of that. Um, but yeah, you know, for me, it was, it was really just to, to kind of get, get a taste of Indy car. Um, you know, I've been in Indy next for two years now, obviously the goal is one day to be in Indy car. Um, and yeah, so we, we don't really know what the future holds, but at the end of the day, it was to to get a taste of the car um, and really just, just see how it went. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, it also opens more opportunities because, you know, now I have driven an Indy car. So, you know, maybe any sort of one-off events come up or another test, or maybe it's something on an oval or, you know, maybe at Indianapolis Motor Speedway or, or mm-hmm. something like that. And then, you know, if, if, if one of those opportunities comes around, it won't be my first time driving an Indy car. Um, so that was, you know, another box that definitely checked. Oh, I think that makes perfect sense uh, because I think a lot of people could see the scenario of running the Indianapolis 500. And, and while Sebring is a very different environment, how does what you did yesterday help prepare you for even something like the Indianapolis 500? Yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest differences between any junior open wheel series and a top level series like IndyCar is a lot of the procedural things, Um, you know, doing pit lane. It's you actually have a pit lane because you do pit stops, Um, entering the box, exiting the box, um, doing multiple different, you know, fuel maps, ECU maps, kind of learning all of those procedures are things that are unique to you know, not only IndyCar, but just top level racing series, you know, around the world. So, you know, IMSA, obviously Formula One, um, 
you know, basically anything except for the junior open wheel series, you're going to have pit stops and you're going to have a lot more elements to it than, you know, just going out and doing a, a 30 or 40 minute sprint race. So to get those, you know, things learned was, was also a really good thing. How do you feel like you did? You had Pietro Fittipaldi to, to measure up against yesterday in a Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan car. And then I think both the Fittipaldis were on track today. Yeah. So I was unfortunately the only car on track yesterday. So there wasn't okay. a whole lot to, to compare to, but you know, at the end of the day, it was, it was really all about, you know, progression, you know, making sure we learned and improved on each and every set of tires. And, and we did that. And, you know, I think we, we put in some good lap times for this track historically. Um, but you never know, you know, what the track is like and on a given day. So, you know, we'll see what these guys are, are able to do today. And that'll give me, you know, a little bit more of an idea, but at the end of the day, you know, kind of putting the lap times aside, I, I accomplished, you know, my own goals of, of really going out there and, and progressing and, you know, just getting better with, with each and every lap that I did. Are you definitely set to do Indy next this next season? Yeah, most likely, um, you know, unless, uh, you know, a golden opportunity lands in, in my lap, you know, and someone says, hey, come drive our Indy car, you know, it's probably going to end up being that. And, you know, I kind of understand the nature of it, you know, to, to be an Indy car, you need to be, you know, winning races in Indy next or, or winning the championship. Um, so that's definitely the goal next year. And I think this test, you know, more than anything, just motivates me to, to go out there and succeed in Indy next, you know. I feel like, you know, I know what I'm capable of doing both in an Indy next car and an Indy car. Um, it's just about, you know, going out and showing that to, to the rest of the world. And, you know, hopefully an opportunity, you know, comes around in the future to where I can end up in an Indy car full time. But I understand that, you know, you have to you have to win races and you have to win championships to do that. So, you know, full focus on that for, for next year, if, if we do end up in Indy next, which looks like is going to happen. Um, so, yeah. So you can speak with authority to the debate that we've had before. And we were talking about specifically last week when it comes to someone like a Kiffin Simpson and a, a point I've made that I would suspect that that Ganassi and Simpson are looking at is, OK, let's, you know, forget about budget and, and whether you have it or not, because I think they have it. And I would think their thinking on this is what will better prepare a driver. And in this case, it's Kiffin Simpson, but whatever, any driver for 2025 is it another year of indy next and potentially winning races and contending for the championship or is it being thrown in the deep end and taking your lumps uh at the indycar level because you're you're going to have to do that whether you're christian rasmussen or kyle kirkwood or whoever it is coming into the first year now the other part of that is every circumstance is different and how do you kind of look into that? Because it is different if you don't have the guaranteed budget and you do need to impress some people as to, hey, this is why you want to be a part of our program, because we're going to run up front and we're going to have the chance to win races eventually. How do you kind of judge those scenarios? Yeah, you know, like you said, it kind of depends on on your specific scenario. Um, you know, if if you know, you have all the budget and you have the budget to do 10 years of IndyCar, you know, at the end of the day, I guess a season of IndyCar is, is going to prepare you more than a season of Indy next, you know, it's just kind of the nature of it. Um, but also just kind of the nature of, of IndyCar nowadays is if you want to go out and if you want to impress a team like Ganassi or a team like 
Penske or Andretti or McLaren or any of the big teams, you really got to go out and perform in, in your first year or two. Like you got to be out there, you know, getting into the fast six or, you know, doing well in races. And I think, you know, your window for opportunity there as a driver is, is very small. Um, so I think being the most prepared as you can when you, you know, get to St. Pete for, for that first race of, you know, hopefully a full-time season, you know, you want to be as prepared as possible for there. And, and I think that's going to lead, you know, to the, to the most opportunities for success, you know, and getting picked up, you know, by a, by a very, you know, big team. Yeah. You win multiple races, you win a championship or even just contest for a championship that opens up a lot of doors and probably also gives you a little longer leash when you get to IndyCar as well. So for sure, yeah, no, there, there is no right answer in all these scenarios. And I would also think that does driving a faster car, is that likely to help? Is that maybe going to slow things down when you get back in the Indy next car? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, you know, I, I guess we'll see, but I think at the end of the day, you know, I, there was definitely things for me to work on yesterday and, and those things, you know, I can, I can work on in an Indy next car. You know, I, I've learned, I got to see a bunch of data from a bunch of past, you know, Dale Coyne drivers and, you know, see where my driving styles and driving tendencies are, are, are different. So, you know, there's, there's nothing holding me back from going and, you know, working on those things in an Indy next car, because, you know, at the end of the day, it is very similar. So I feel like, you know, I'll have an opportunity, you know, when we go back and test, you know, I, I have ideas of, of what I need to work on and what my, you know, shortcomings are, even, even if I might not have, you know, teammates in Indy next that are necessarily like Takuma Sato or, or David Malukas. And are you back in the next car when most everyone tests a barber next week? Yes. Okay. Yep. So, and then that's it, right. For the rest of the year. Yeah. Until um, January. So yeah. yeah, this, this off season, we have a little bit more uh, testing than last year, but still very limited. Well, it's a really cool experience, and I'm glad you got to get a, a taste of that, and hopefully it's the first of many to come. So wherever you end up next year, I, I feel like you got some good options on the table. Jacob Abel with Abel Motorsports, Indy Next Driver, and had a chance to drive a Dale Coin Racing Honda at Sebring yesterday in IndyCar. Thank you, Jacob. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, man. Jacob Abel from the Indy Next program with Abel Motorsports and testing an IndyCar yesterday at Sebring for Dale Coyne Racing, and someone who we know definitely is going to be in Indy next next year is the reigning champion of USF Pro 2000 with Pabst Racing. Now he's moving up, still with Force Indy, and now with HMD Motorsports, Miles Road joins us. Miles, I've talked to you many times on many formats, but I don't know that we've had you on the radio show before, and that is my fault. Better late than never. Welcome. How are you? <laughs> Hey, Kevin. Yeah, it's I, I haven't been on the show yet. So, yeah, it's a pleasure to, to finally get on here tonight with you. Well, like I said, uh, I've sometimes made the request like an hour in advance. So luckily I did a day in advance this time. So it made it uh, a lot better and a lot easier <laughs> because you still got things going on. So before we talk about the racing, um, I want to know what's going on in your world, because I, I find you a very unique race car driver. You not only were in college, you are a college graduate. Um, from Pace University, which is in the New York area. So what are you doing now? Are you able to use your degree at all? Yeah, so I haven't uh, received any professional jobs yet uh, in the industry and in, in photography or 
or filmmaking, but um, I'm working independently freelance, uh, doing my own fashion photography and working with friends um, and different models and, and a couple of people uh, who, who own clothing brands and experimenting with my style with them right now. That's what I've been kind of doing through the whole year. Uh, but since the season's over, I've been uh, pursuing that a little bit more, um, you know, delving in things like mood boards and trying to experiment more with, you know, my composition and, and just my subjects and, you know, things like lighting and and all these different all these different things with angles and you can go so deep into it just like you can with racing so that's awesome. been something i've been really trying to focus on yeah to try to balance out you know my headspace with racing and everything and and yeah i'm just uh, I'm, I'm privileged to to come off of a championship winning season and have a little bit of luxury to to separate and and really focus on on the things that make me happy you put your skills to work a little bit at the racetrack before Did, were you not interning or helping out or freelancing with co-force uh, was it yeah, maybe last so, year or the year before? Yeah, exactly. So in 2022, I, I got an internship with, with CoForce, um, which they basically work with a whole bunch of clients and, and the IMSA paddocks, IndyCar, and, and Formula One even. And yeah, Johnny Baker, uh, the owner of, of the company, he was he was uh, nice enough to, to see see talent in me um, and, and give me an opportunity to, to learn from the team and, and work with them and, and help them in the ways I could and grow. And, and yeah, they, they really, you know, helped give me a good start in the professional field of, of uh, filmmaking and, and just um, creating content um, for different, you know, professional clients and, and more specifically in the motorsports film, which is motorsports field, which is what CoForce uh, is mainly involved in. And, and yeah, it was just, I learned so much working with them. It was a little bit different. I'm in a little bit of adjustment, uh, learning how to, to film and, and take photographs for, you know, high speed, like action sports instead mm -hmm. of, you know, more paced out, um, uh, creative, creative works, um, in New York that I normally do. So that was a little bit, um, of like a, a learning curve I had to adjust to, um, especially like, because my first, uh, event with CoForce with that was at the Texas Motor Speedway. So of course the cars are flying over there. So adjusting to, you know, my shutter speeds and all the in-camera settings uh, while also, you know, being in the right spot and making sure I could, you know, rotate the camera, you know, properly and, and getting all those things combined was, was interesting. Um, and yeah, I just, they, 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 get, they, they showed me a different side of the industry um that a lot of athletes a lot of us drivers never really get to see too much in depth because we are the drivers where we are part of the cast you know we're on the other side um so it gave me that you know that that crew the the bts crew or whatever you like to call it uh, behind the scenes of the motorsports industry so it gave it, it gave me like um a, a different lens uh which i think has helped me over the years well, luckily, you won't be asked to shoot race cars for a little while because you're going to be driving them. And then, you know, maybe where we start is just kind of look and every driver has moments and obstacles and crossroads. And you've had a few of them and kind of in reverse order, I can think of a couple of years ago when first you get the amazing opportunity with Penske Entertainment, but there's no guarantees. And after one year, it looks like that might sort of be the end of it. And you didn't have anything mm -hmm. going into 2022. And that ultimately led to race by race with Pabst and winning races and winning five and almost winning a championship. And then you dominate the next season, the next level, five more races, and you win a championship. Have you been able now that things are secured to move to the next level, kind of think of where you were two years ago 
And then maybe even beyond that, three and a half years ago before the Penske Entertainment opportunity came around to where you are now. Yeah, it's it's crazy the the jump um that I've taken in, you know, comparing my start in college to starting racing again and then that point in starting racing to where I'm at now. And yeah, the it's it's helped me grow up a lot. Uh Tim Centric um and I were speaking one day and uh he he quoted me saying uh motorsports uh basically makes you makes you grow up a lot faster than than you than you would if you were in in, in any other industry or or most other industries um and i mean he 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 has a whole son in motorsports so he knows it you know full circle um kind of the mentality uh and and effort it takes to succeed uh, and yeah it's it's really i think ingrained a certain maturity in me um in order to become the person i have to be uh to to race for penske and and race for force indy um and and deliver and continue to delivering in our future and uh and yeah it's it's uh it's something i try not to dwell on too much because i like to focus forward um but i do yes sometimes like reflect to it and appreciate what um the industry has done for me um not just career-wise but personally you know um like i said just through um how i've had to mature over the years and the person and character i have and am becoming um the evolution of of myself has grown a lot faster because of that um and yeah i'm, I'm, I appreciate I'm sure it. you would have loved to have had the full budget to run usf 2000 when you were 17 years old or whatever when you came off a what you won the winter <laughs> championship in the Lucas Oil School of Racing. Is that right? No, whenever you were there, right. you were very impressive. Always run up front. And the next step would be just to move on, but it didn't happen that way. In hindsight, mm -hmm. now that you know it has happened, are you better off for it because of the maturity and the life experiences that you have? And now you have a college degree, which maybe doesn't happen if you're racing full time from the ages of 17 to 21. Are you better as a racing driver and maybe off the track too for being a little bit older than going through this between the ages of 17 and 19? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's really just about timing. I think I, I'm a big believer in, especially for motorsports, I'm a big believer in timing. Um, there's a lot of words for that, you know, um, fate, destiny, but, you know, just factually it's timing in motorsports. And I think... Um, all the great athletes, they, they were great partially because they came in at the right time for themselves, whether it had to do with their support system, competition, just natural worldwide events. Um, all of those things worked in their favor. And um, I just think that the timing now was basically my time and then was premature. Um, and it was something I wasn't able to understand at the time, you know, um, especially coming off of some success, like you said, in the, in the Lucas oil winter center series, which I had, um, you know, in, in the present, that was my time. So it was hard to accept not getting a ride in the next couple of years. Uh, but yeah, obviously being able to be here now in this present and looking back, um, this seems like this is the appropriate time and, and yeah, we see the results showing. Miles Rowe is joining us, uh, after winning the USF pro 2000 championship, in 2023 and 2022 almost won the usf 
2000 championship, won five races, both seasons. What would you say has been the difference as a driver from your first year? You know, you're thrown in the deep end. That's a big jump going from the Lucas car to USF 2000. And I would say you did as any rookie would do. You had ups and downs. You won a race at the end of the season, but you weren't going to contend for a championship year two and year three. You've been awesome. What clicked from year one to year two? Cause I think that's when it really started was, was in 2022 when you were still in USF 2000. Yeah, I think just point blank. It's, it was simply the experience, which in 2021 for all of us, we knew, but was hard to understand. Um, kind of like I've been watching drive to survive today and kind of like you can see the tension or hear the tension from, um, from they would quote unquote the big wigs and everything from race to race trying to you know see progress when we all know it takes years you know a year two three years to to see these things through um and that brings me to the the thought where when we were there we know we know the experience would come and we'd get there but it's just so hard being in there um being part of uh, a rookie season and understanding that the only reason success isn't coming is because of something as simple as that. Hmm. And it, it, it's, it just simply was that I had a year under my belt and it wasn't just lack of experience in the USF 2000 car. The, the reason why it was such a big change was because it was the, the gravity of the lack of experience I had. It was lack of experience, just being in, in racing in general, racing a go-kart, racing a car, being in a car. I mean, I was in New York for so long without even driving my own road car. Um, so all of those factors combined and then being able to have a year under my belt and get all of that, you know, back under me and back comfortable with that. Um, and basically like having that sleep on it year. Yeah. Um, I think that was sincerely the difference. And now you're headed to one step below IndyCar with a scholarship, Indy Next, with the team that's won the championship the last couple of years, HMD Motorsports, still uh, backed and associated with the Force Indy. And you, your first chance in the car at IMS, whatever it was, two, three weeks ago, and you were mm-hmm. third quick, second quick until the latter moments. And then I happened to be walking by as you were getting out of the car, and and you really don't want to know where you're at. You had no idea where you ranked on the speed chart. I found that fascinating. I got it. Once you explained it to me and you can explain it to everyone else um, because there are other drivers. I think Scott McLaughlin has turned off all of his predictive lap times and so forth. There are others that just don't want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, I mean, yeah, that's, that's funny. You mentioned uh, Scott's way of doing it. Um, Cause like I was telling my engineer, like, basically I don't want to know my predicted lap because it's basically putting, it's like whenever someone asks me my goals, it's so hard for me to tell them that because like my goals don't stop. Like I, I could, I want to win an Indy 500, but then, you know, I want to win an F1 championship and then I want to do this, you know, sort of a thing. There's never really a cap. It's just how much time I have to get to that next goal. So it's really like, there's not really a, a, a fast time out there. It's just, the best I can get the best, best time I can get. And it's not, you know, what Lewis Hamilton can do or, 
willpower can do it's what i can do um and i and so if i end up 15th in a session and i feel really good about that lap um i'm gonna feel really good like i don't i don't want to see it right after the session because then that makes me feel like i didn't succeed um because you know at the end of the day that's the results um so i need to take a second to realize to, to remember that to, to basically stay in my own world um i think a big part of winning the championship uh in, this year in 23 um was achieving um sort of a, a flow state uh which is something i was reading in a book where a lot of the great athletes uh find find ways to separate themselves from their competition to essentially where they're competing against themselves um and so when you asked me what my time was or how I felt about it or, or if I wanted to know it, my answer to you saying, I don't want to know it. and I don't want to see was basically me putting an effort to keep myself in my own worldview and to make sure I'm still competing against myself. And that was me putting up a strong mental defense mechanism to make sure that I, you know, keep that centered within myself that day. So that's all that really was. Um, and as we see, sometimes you end up being a lot faster than, than you think. Um, and, and that's kind of, that's kind of the beauty of that, um, is that in the low moments, it helps you stay centered and positive, um, and keeps your confidence level, which is very important for any athlete. And then in the really good moments, it only boosts your confidence even higher because it, it only solidifies that, that you are, you know, when you think you are doing your best, the maximum, that is the best anyone can do basically. So now it's a note to me and everyone else. When you see Miles after the session ends, don't tell him how he did. This was 15 minutes after the checkers. I assumed someone had said, hey, nice job, kid. You're P3. Uh, so <laughs> I'll keep that to myself the next time and just say, hello, how are you? It was also fun watching you with my son, Jackson, because you both drove the same cars last year. Mm -hmm. Describe the differences and the way you two were talking went above my head immediately. So what is the difference? Dumb it down for us a little bit. What's what's the jump from the USF Pro car to the Indy Next car and almost 200 more horsepower? Yeah, so I really enjoyed it. Um, it's I really found it fascinating um, how because I don't I don't have a lot of experience in really many race cars. Um, for those who don't know, all I've driven is uh, basically Formula Ford cars the usf 2000 the usf pro cars the indy next car was my fourth new new race car that's all i've driven um so i have no idea how a i had no idea how a heavy um race car and a, and a car with turbo uh drove so looking even when i was in usf 2000 looking at the pro 2000 car and then still this year looking at the indy next car they always looked very intimidating because they just looked big and had power that i had no idea what that felt like um, so the day before the, the Chris Griffiths test, um, still looking at the car, I was intimidated, you know, the rear wing is all big, the tires are all big. I'm like, man, this is tomorrow's <laughs> going to be, tomorrow's going to be crazy. And then, but I showed up the next day and, and it was a weird feeling. I looked at the car and, and it somehow looked like 75%, like 25% smaller. Um, like the, looking at the car just didn't intimidate me the way, the way it did for all the other days I've looked at it. Um, and all the other years I've seen it and and I don't think I'll ever forget that because that was really weird because I didn't I didn't drive the car yet um but ever since that that morning um it's it's been the same feeling even after the car it was the same feeling I had that morning so that was always 
kind of weird to me. And so when I got in the car um, and drove it and came out, the the way I viewed the car, it was almost as if now when I look at big cars, I see them as easier to drive because the extra power that visually is seen as a very big, you know, robust car, that extra power there actually makes it easier to to drive and manipulate the car because you can use that power to spin the tires and, and get movement in the rear and kick it out and kick it loose and, and control it. Whereas with the, the Pro 2000 or, or the USF 2000, more like the USF 2000 and the Formula Fords, you don't have that power. So really the car is actually way more, you know, planted and can't really move and more rigid and, and just, it, there's not a lot, a lot of play with it. But um, so that was like really interesting for me. Um, so now when I look at a, a really big car, I, I, I'm like, wow, that's going to be like really light and it's going to dance and everything, which I didn't have before. So um, that was the biggest thing. And, and like everything else, it was just going down the front straightaways was incredible because you could feel the car squat and move. And as it got faster and as you were weaving, you could feel it squat more and more. Um, low speed surprised me because there wasn't as much mechanical grip as I thought there was. Um, so you really have to like hustle it in, um, and make sure you, you hit your points there because there's a lot of understeer happening. So, uh, lack of precision means a lot of time loss, uh, in low speed corners. So there was a lot of little tendencies that I found that I could see, um, you know, really need some, some improvement to make sure that next season is very consistent for sure. Well, it was awesome. It's just getting started. You'll have a chance to get in the car again, uh, probably for the last time this year at Barber next week. So we'll look forward to yeah, hearing how that goes. And uh, I could ask you a lot more questions, but we'll save it for another time. And we'll catch up with you after the New Year's we get set for 2024. Thank you, Miles. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, this was a pleasure. Miles Rowe, the USF Pro 2000 champion, headed to Indy next in 2024. All right, we'll see what we missed and more coming up next. Trackside, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Okay, time to see what we missed. Uh, a few other things that I think I need a little more time to get into, so we'll save that for next week, and I should probably do a quick check. When is the show next week? It is Monday. Next week, Monday night, is the program the 13th from 7 until 9, I do believe. So check your local listings. Speaking of local listings, some are interested in the television business. Some, I understand, are not. But the CW, the home of 100 Days to Indy last year, still waiting on news whether we're going to see something like that again next year. Last I heard was it seemed uh, likely that there would be some form of an IndyCar documentary and we might get international options for the current version. Well, the CW is doing more and more in sports, and I, I guess this qualifies WWE next or is this nxt i think that's pronounced nxt but it's uh the same lettering as the indycar development program but they're going to the cw in a new contract so they've got some college football they've got nascar xfinity coming in 2025 in this and they say they want more so we'll stay tuned we're out of time it was fun talking to miles Rowe. he's really engaging 
really a fun young man, and I think more people are going to enjoy getting to know him. And Jacob Abel, who as well, who we've known and liked for many years, and we'll have more coming up next Monday night. Thanks for joining us. Elijah Roberson, our producer. For Kurt, I'm Kevin. This is 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.